And good morning to you as well. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we welcome you again. And it's a privilege to be able to share together, to worship together, and to study God's Word together. One of the things that we do on Sunday, along with the worship and the giving and the serving and and the living out of our life, is the study of God's Word. And that's why we have an outline that's available to show you that uh, the things that we talk about here when we teach or preach are not based upon neat ideas that we read somewhere, but they are biblical principles that God has given to guide us. And you're going to find this as a great tool as we go through the passage of today. We're in the book of Ephesians, and it's a beautiful story of Paul's writing to that church of Ephesus in the country today we call Turkey. Now, if you're like uh, Joy and me, we, uh, one, of the, one of the network channels that uh, we are drawn to and uh, seem to be watching all the time is HGTV. Y'all know HGTV? Some of you are fans of that. It has a way of sometimes making you feel inadequate because your home is never quite as good as it sh- you would want it to be. And I'm going to invite I'm going to invite us to turn on. There we go. Uh, the the show one of the shows that we watch is called Flip or Flop. You know Flip or Flop. This couple here they live in actually Yorba Linda. I don't know if that's actually their house or not, but they're always poised poised in front of the house. And uh, what they do is they take an old rundown home somewhere usually in Orange County, sometimes in Santa Ana. And it just looks like a terrible disaster, and they create this beautiful new creation of a home. For example, here's one of their homes. They went in, and here's the kitchen. And obviously, it looks like something nobody would want to have to live in. But what they did is they transformed it into this beautiful kitchen that looks like this. Then you wander through in one of the rooms in the house, and it's had some uh, either mold or fire and all kinds of disasters, and they take out walls and they create a beautiful living room for somebody to live in. And here's another portion of the house where it just, again, it's just hard for me to imagine that there are people who are actually living in this home, and then they sold it. It's just hard for me to fathom that. But then they look at it, and what they see is the final product. And this home, this living room and dining room that they have put together. Here's one of the bedrooms, a total disaster, and they create this beautiful place that you'd actually want to live in. And what I love about the flip or flop story is that they have eyes to see the potential even though the home is a complete disaster. For most of us, we'd want nothing to do with it. But what I love about it is the spiritual side of that, sort of an analogy. God gives us metaphors of spiritual life all around us. This is one, that there are a lot of us that feel like we are a disaster in God's eyes. We're a disaster in the friend's eyes, that things we have done, our history, our past, our failures. And we need somebody to come along and flip us, to take what is a trashed, run down life and change us into something new and better. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, how Jesus Christ in sort of our little vernacular of today, he came into this world to flip all of us because all of us were a disaster in God's eyes. And he wants to change us. The the sad thing that I think about is this, that even as Jesus paid that price as he died upon the cross for our sins, to take those sins from us and give to us his righteousness. There are many believers that walk around feeling like a flop because they look at their lives, they look at how they live even today. They think about their past, that God could never forgive me as much as I need to be forgiven. If you knew what I had done, you would never think that God could forgive me. 
So they begin to live their lives like a flop, like it just didn't happen, like it didn't work out, like everything that God had promised is just not working out for me. Look at my life, my marriage, my finances, my health, uh, my spiritual journey, and it looks disastrous. This morning I want to show you that Jesus is still in the business of changing lives, giving us a brand new start, removing the dirt and the filth to replace it with his holiness and his righteousness. And to learn about that, we go to the city of Ephesus, as I said. It's in the country of Turkey today. And the storyline, as Tim had mentioned it, is our worthy walk. Taking all the way back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where we began the journey this uh, few weeks ago. And in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The word worthy is this idea, of, I talked about the last two Sundays, you're going to remember the word axios, the Greek word. It means to be in balance. So Paul, at the beginning of this chapter, and this whole chapter is continuation of that theme. At the beginning of that chapter, he says, I want you to be worthy. I want you to know that you can be cleaned up. You can be improved. You can be changed. You can be transformed. No one's holding you back. God is desirous of doing that. That's why he sent Jesus. And so he wants to bring us to the point where we are in balance with God, where we are as holy as God is. And for a lot of people, that's a foreign concept. They can't imagine that ever being true for me. Where what we say and what we believe and who God is and how I live my life are in perfect balance with him. Now, this section of God's Word that I want to read for us is showing us that transformation where the worthiness becomes my own. I'm going to read in chapter 4, verse 17, these words. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because the ignorance that is in them, because the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So he wants to create us in the holiness of God. That's a worthy walk. Now, how do we get there? Three words I want you to keep in mind. He wants us to leave something behind. He wants us to learn something new. And then he wants us to live that life for Jesus. That's the outline. To leave, to learn, and then to live it. First of all, we need to leave something behind. We need to get out the old. Verses 17 through 19 again. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you will walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And then he lists these things that are character traits of the before coming to Christ. This is the house that is still the disaster inside. Where there's trash, there's rodents, there are uh, all kinds of insects, there's smell, 
There's filth. This is the before. He says, I want you to walk no longer that way. What is that way that he's referring to in this text? Let me list the list for you. The sinful walk from God. This is sort of a deterioration of that happens before Jesus. Where the house begins to deteriorate, then rain gets in, it ruins the drywall, the carpet is being destroyed, and the house begin, continues to get worse and worse unless you do something to stop it. And this is the list. He says, you are in the futility of your mind. Before we come to Christ, we have a futile mind. And the word futile means to pursue those things that are aimless. We have no real purpose. We're simply an animal living our lives. But there's no greater design, no greater purpose, no greater calling. Then secondly, he says, not only the futility of your mind, but you're darkened in your understanding. The word darkened means to cover up something to prevent light from getting through. 2 Corinthians 4 is a great illustration of that. Before we come to Christ, this happens. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What happens before we come to Christ is there is a darkness of the mind. That's why it's so hard if you've got a friend, a relative, who you pray for, you witness to, but there is no breakthrough in their faith to trust in Jesus. There is a darkness in their understanding. It's sort of like many years ago, Joe and I went to Mercer Caverns, which is up in the foothills of the gold country, up there outside of uh, east of Sacramento. And then you go inside, it's like a little mini Carlsbad Caverns. They got the slagmites and the slagtites and all that stuff. And they said nothing can grow down here because it is pitch black. But they said if we brought light into this cavern, wherever we would shine that light, there would be new growth that would occur. Satan knows that. So he creates darkness in the heart of those who haven't believed because the light of Christ creates new growth. Thirdly, not only is you're darkened in futility, but you're excluded from God. We're increasingly distant from God. Things that God would say, things that God cares about, things that God wants us to learn, they are excluded from our lives. There is a hardness of the heart. It's an unteachable spirit. This word hardness is actually used of a chalk that gets inside the joints of our bones, and it causes paralysis. So there's this kind of hardness that takes place where my heart is totally unteachable. There's a spiritual paralysis. It's much like in Romans 1, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They are hardened in their disbelief. That's why it's so hard for people to know Jesus. There's a hardness. There's a darkness. And then finally, there is a callousness that begins to build. As people continue to resist, there is this callous that builds up. Anybody who does carpentry or you work with your hands, you probably have calluses on your hands. And if you stick a pin into a callus, it doesn't really hurt that much. Because calluses create this sense of sort of a pain-free living. That's what this word callous means. It literally means to no longer feel pain. So people who are calloused they don't feel guilt. They can sin guilt-free 
They can violate the laws of God and there is no sense of shame. And so this is this deterioration. This, this sinful walk from God allows people to reach a point where there's this callousness of their heart and they don't care that what they do is wrong. That's why we don't preach to those who don't believe in Jesus to help them change their behavior because they don't think their behavior is wrong. We don't try to legislate them into doing good. What they need is the transformation of Jesus Christ that suddenly shows light into a darkened place, that softens the callous on the outside so suddenly there's a realization that what I'm doing is wrong, where there is a sense of wanting to get closer to God, not excluded from God, so that there's a purpose, no longer futile the mind, so that I actually have a reason to live. So we want Jesus to do the heavy lifting. Jesus is the one who flips people. We don't. We just point out the truth and let the Spirit of God do His work. So we need to leave those things so that we can learn new things. We need to want to learn. We don't just leave something and have a vacancy. We, we learn things. And so uh, in Ephesians 4, 20 through 22, we read this. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Uh, the futility of the mind, the hardness of the heart, the darkness of the mind. You don't learn Christ. It reveals its true self. We just try to mask it. And so some of these sins that are listed in, thankfully, as it comes right back on, Colossians 3, 8 to 9, uh, some of these sins, it's the same author. Colossians is really close by, even to Ephesus. He says, put aside anger. You have to get rid of it. And it's actually this language when it says, put aside or get rid of, it's, it's Greek language for clothing, taking off and putting on clothing. So we thought we'd have... Some clothing, a shirt that says anger. Anger, that, that deep-rooted bitterness that's festering within us. We have to not just mask it, we have to actually get rid of it. Thank you, Dave. Uh, then underneath that, though, we have wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is take that anger and it's the eruptions of the anger. When the anger explodes out of us, uh, where am I? Here we go. Okay. That is the wrath. And so when that explodes, we have to get rid of it. We can't just cover it up. It says malice. Malice is this harmful intent or an intent for evil. And, and a lot of this is even related to our speech. Okay. A, a lot of this language, it's interesting that it's related to how we talk. Get rid of the evil intent in how we treat others. And I think you'll see Are you going to be able to keep up? Okay. Uh, I think, (laughs) 
That was, that was her. I'm sorry. I, sh- I need to get rid of that. <laughs> that you'll see uh, coming up the abusive speech. But um, <laughs> we have to get rid of the slander as well. The way that we speak poorly of others to lift ourselves up. Usually it's not true, right? Slander, saying false things about someone else. And it's really to lift yourself up. You can see this theme as we get rid of slander. We see this theme of where we have to, you know, it's all about our speech and it's Way. So get rid of it. And finally, it says, do not lie to one another. No more lying. So we take the lying, we take the false things that we would say, and we get rid of it. Don't worry, I've got one more under. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so that's how we need to learn uh, to get rid of what is old. And then uh, we will transition then into the new. Yeah, so God wants to replace that. You know, imagine the flip or flop. If you go into a home that's all destroyed, fires on the walls, water damaged, carpet, you don't go in there with a bunch of paint and just sort of cover it up. You get rid of it, you take it off, so that you can learn a new way to be able to live your life. And so Ephesians 4.23 also shows this replacement. God doesn't leave us empty, a void. He wants to get rid of the old, put on the new. So he says this, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. So get rid of the old, put new clothing on, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So I become as holy as God, worthy walk, I'm in balance. God says, I'll do that for you. We don't do it. He does it for us. We live it out. And that's the key. Jesus does all this stuff. We don't legislate people how to live. Jesus causes people to live. The word new there means to have a new quality. It's it's not newness in time, but newness in quality. It's like taking an old house that's a disaster and creating something that looks like a brand new model home. It looks new. You would never know it looked as bad as it once did. For people, we become new. We don't live the way we used to. We have taken off all the things. Lying will be the thing we talk about next Sunday. Hmm. That's one of the first things he wants us to get rid of. Mm -hmm. And you notice in Ephesians 4, that's the next thing he talks about. So we want to show how that can be removed from our lives, Mm -hmm. any kind of deceit that God would see within our hearts. So that as he goes to Colossians, and Colossians shows us, here are those things Paul then writes, as he wrote to Ephesus, he wrote to Colossae, put on these new garments. So we put on more, just as we wouldn't, uh, you know, remember how Jesus said he casts out the demons? It's like if you cast out these demons, but you don't do anything afterwards, there's no like input that, that you've got, like it's possible they could come back, right? Well, we need to then not just take off, but put on. So we put on some traits that it lists here. And the first of these traits is compassion. So we put on compassion. To be a grace-filled person, to be a person that is merciful, sympathetic, that is caring for others, that we want to be that kind of person. Consider the, the negative traits. Uh, 
the, consider the negative traits that we took off, right? Well, those are all putting others down. You can see how these are putting, you know, others before ourselves. And so the second one that we want to put on is kindness. So we take kindness and we say, Lord, help me to be kind. I might not feel like it, but Lord, give me the power through your spirit to be kind, to treat others well. It says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Even lying, lying is a primary trait of the enemy, of of Satan. He's the father of lies. Whereas kindness, and some others we'll look at, are these primary traits of who God is. That God's kindness leads us to repentance. And then we put on humility. Humility, this this quintessential part of putting others before ourselves, right? That we would no longer only care about how we look. Our pride is put down where humility is is built up in our lives. And then we put on meekness or gentleness. Meekness is that word often mistaken for weakness, but it's really a quiet strength, right? A strength of conviction that treats people kindly, is quiet and gentle with them. That we would be people who are gentle and meek. We put that on where that might be difficult. You might not be the kind of person that wants to be quiet, but you're a person that wants to be loud. And uh, I I need to work on that myself, although right now it's helping. Um, (laughs) Then we put on patience. Patience when we consider how, you know, when we, when we want to be kind to people, compassionate, we want to see a difference in people's lives, we're putting them before ourselves. But often what happens is they don't change the way we want them to change or when we want them to change. And so we need to be patient. We need to give them that, that time to grow. We need to be long-suffering with them. That's a way of being kind. And it's also a way of being loving because it says... Beyond all these things, above all, most importantly, we put on love. Love is not just something God does, it's something God is. God is love. And so we put on love. And we say, Lord, help me to be loving like you are loving. Love is the most important commandment. It's the second most important commandment. Love God love people. We want to live this out to love. Without love, we are nothing. So I want to ask you now in this moment, what's your shirt, right? What's your shirt that you need to take off? And what's your shirt that you need to put on? Sometimes there's a bit of this where we don't feel like it. We don't feel like we want to do these things. So we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us and we do it. We do it no matter what. And I think God grows that in us as we act loving and kind to people or patient, even if we feel like we're not a patient person. And so we live that out. So what is your shirt to take off? Begin to consider these things. What is your shirt to put on? And maybe there's just one thing right now, just one thing to focus on today. What to take off and what to put on. But above all, put on love. And so we actually even made up these shirts, these put-on-love shirts. We even have some available in the lobby where they're just, they're, they're relatively inexpensive, but even any of the proceeds goes towards camp scholarships for kids this summer. You know, but just if you want to kind of join in this effort of put-on-love, those are available with you. But mostly it's just that you can remember. Remember to put on love above all else. All right. Thank you, Eric, for yeah, helping us out. <laughs> Thank you.
And my second life, I want to be a butler. And uh, so it's been great. It's kind of fun. Listen, uh, if you, here's, here's the thing that comes to my mind. If we wear a shirt that says compassion or kindness, or you get one of those shirts that says put on love, and if you go to Claim Jumper, you go to Starbucks, let's remember what we're saying. Because sometimes people haven't put on their put on love shirt. And so we don't respond in like manner to those that respond to us. Because we want to put on love. Yesterday, it was illustrated to me. There was a number of us that went to a variety of homes to help the widows out. And, oh. It's just the rats. It's the rats up there. And we were helping uh, one widow in our church, lovely woman. We had a great time uh, cleaning up her yard and pruning and trimming and and I, and I think any moment the lights are going to go off, but I'll just keep talking. Um, and as one of the, one of our, there's three of us on the team, and one of the young guys that I was with, and really enjoyed getting to know them, and I'll keep them anonymous for now. But he was trimming the bush on this side. He was trimming the bush on the other side where the other people's property are. And the man comes out of that home and he says, what in the four-letter... I knew Jesus was here because he edits everything I say. All right. (laughs) Just in time for me to finish. All right. Uh, Let's see, where was I? Four-letter word, four-letter word. So he comes out and gives the old uh, four-letter words to one of our wonderful young men here at Calvary Church and just blasts him. What are you doing pruning this tree? This bush, mine is my bush and all that. And his wife comes, oh, don't worry. You know. And what I appreciate is that this young man that I just met yesterday morning, but he's uh, one of his young families in our church. He came out there to do hard work and he turns to this guy who's just getting him all kinds of four, four-letter words he says, well, sir, we're just here from Calvary Church. We're helping out so-and-so. We're trying to take care of her yard and take care of her life. And so I hope it's okay if we just kind of... And he just responded in love. He had already put on the put-on love shirt, not literally, but in his heart. And that's the most important thing. It's not the labels we wear on the outside, but it's the quality of newness of life that is on the inside. And obviously, Jesus has already put on love in that young man's life. Because we're going to have people like that. They're going to come after us and take us to task. But remember, we've left the former way of life to learn about Jesus Christ so we can live in the newness of life, of the compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and and all these gentleness that God wants in our lives that leads us to be a loving life. Let me close with this. I heard about a guy that had a carved an elephant out of a giant rock that was in his house, in, in front of his yard. And uh, over in Prescott, where we sometimes go, there's these giant boulders. And I just to well imagine, you take one of those big boulders that's in your yard, and he 
turned it into an elephant, of all things. It was just craziness. And a neighbor said, how did you make an elephant out of that rock? He says, oh, I went to the rock, and I just chiseled away everything that didn't look like an elephant. And, and I love that concept, because God wants to chisel away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. So when people see us, they see the life of Christ because we've left the old, we've learned the new, and we now live it so people can see it. May we be those people who live the life of Christ, worthy of a walk with Him. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we now are challenged to go out, whether we go to a class or we go to be with our friends, wherever we go now, that we would live the life that you've called us to live. Having left the old, learned the new, and living it by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, Father, help us to be those people you want us to be. Father, the transformation is fantastic. Old things gone, you've created something new in each of us through Jesus. Now, Lord, there may be some here who have never put on Christ. They've never trusted in Jesus. They've never believed in him as one who can forgive and cleanse, heal, make whole. And God, if they are here today, we invite them to come up. That as we close the service, at the end of our service, that they would interact with someone who can love them and show them what it means to believe in Jesus. So we invite you. We invite them, Father. Do your work. Because we can. It's your work, Father. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.